Welcome to the Restoration Church Podcast. To learn more about our church, give, share a prayer request, or access our weekly worship guide, visit us at www.restorationlex.com slash this week. celebrate on Palm Sunday, typically the, the coming of Jesus, the riding into Jerusalem in remembrance of his kingship. Now, usually when a king rides into a city, he does it on a war horse, coming with a big, giant procession, and Jesus comes on a donkey, a very subversive act to say, my kingdom's not like the kingdoms of this world. My kingdom is not like the empires that are holding us down. He's an altogether different kind of king. This week begins a celebration that is ultimately moving you and I, moving us intentionally towards the cross. And you know, it's 2,000 years removed, and we're in a totally different time, a totally different culture. And it can be hard to grasp how strange it is that our guiding symbol, the very center of our faith, was a means of capital punishment, torture. The cross was torture, meant to humiliate the victim, meant to intimidate anyone who followed that same path forward. Crucifixion still stands as one of the most cruel and grotesque forms of punishment that we have ever seen in the history of civilization. This picture you see here on the screen is a picture from 16th Street Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama, where a bomb killed four young girls. We got to walk in and see that, the reminder of the power of hope in the midst of death. This window sits not more than 20 feet away from where these young girls died. The cross has always been for us this symbol of hope even in the midst of death. These were public deaths. When you're crucified, you are meant to be crucified alongside a road that anyone who crosses along the way or seen in a very public way would know that if you're turning your back on Rome, you have something coming to you. This was a a death that was reserved for slaves, for criminals, for the very worst of the worst. So it's almost unthinkable to think that now, here we are, that this somehow for thousands of years has become a symbol of our hope and not our shame. The cross was meant to shame people, but the cross ended up being our source of hope. N.T. Wright writes, he says, the New Testament insists in book after book that when Jesus of Nazareth died on the cross, Something happened as a result of which the world is a different place. And the early Christians insisted that when people also are caught up in the meaning of the cross, they become part of this distance, difference. History itself is changing, has changed. This is the center of human history. The most important moment, I would say, in human history is Jesus is dying. And so we have to ask as we move into Holy Week together as a family, is this going to be simply a symbol of our tribe or will we come to the cross for what it is, for what it is inviting us to see? It's why 
In 1 Corinthians 1, Paul writes this. He says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So it's so, so important for us to know then what the message of the cross truly is. If it is the power of God. You and I should not just have a cursory knowledge. You and I should not just look at the cross as as just part of our faith. It is the very center of who we are. And we need to know and embody this message together. So we're asking today, what is the message of the cross? If someone came up to you on the the street and said, hey, if you're a Christian, what, what is the message of the cross? How would you answer that question? For some of us, this would be, a revelation of what we see in God. For some of us today, it will be a reminder, a much-needed reminder. But for all of us, every single one of us, no matter where we are in our faith journey, if you're exploring faith for the first time or you've been a Christian for 30 years, today is an opportunity to respond to what God is speaking to you in the message of the cross. And it begins with our story at the very, very beginning. Genesis 1 and 2, we're created in the image of God. We have identity. We have purpose. We have meaning. We are created in the fullness of shalom, meaning wholeness, the world, our relationships, our connection with God, our connection with one another is completely and fully whole. But as we know, that's not where the story ends. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, they believe the lie of the serpent. They believe the lie of scarcity. They believe that God cannot be trusted. And if they want to have what they're longing for, if they want to have the fullness of the promise of what God is offering, they have to actually step in and take the place of God themselves. This was a rejection of both the identity they've been given and also a rejection of their vocation, of their purpose. And saying, you know what, God? I got this. I'm going to do it on my own. And with this disobedience, with this rejection of their identity, with this rejection of their purpose, we see sin enter the world. And through sin, we see death enter the world. Now, we've all heard about sin. We've all heard what sin is. Everybody believes in sin. Even if you don't believe in sin in a Christian format, in a Christian context, you believe that there are things that are inherently wrong and evil. I grew up understanding sin is essentially the, 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 the product of our choices. And it is that. Hear me. It is that. Sin is our bad choices. Sin is us choosing to do something wrong. But I think the Bible is actually painting a much bigger picture of what sin is. I love how Rich Velota says, he says, sin is not just something that we do, but a power that humanity is under. Meaning that as as image bearers of God, it wasn't just our proclivity to make bad choices that went against the will of God. We are held under the grip of a power beyond us. So in dealing with the sin of humanity, when we talk about sin on a week like this, it's not just transforming our individual choices. It is transforming a bondage In our humanity, we all are under. That all of creation is under. The cross is accomplishing far more 
than just making bad people become good people with good choices. If that's all it was, Jesus wouldn't have to die. But there is a power that you and I need to be broken outside of ourselves. And how does God do this? How does God address this power? How does God deal with how this power forms the choices that we make? Well, he takes upon the reality of this humanity. He takes upon himself in Jesus his sinless life. Now, why does it matter that Jesus lived a sinless life? It's because even in the fullness of our humanity, in what we are created in and for the, the humanity that made sin possible in us became impossible in Jesus because he lived in the fullness of our humanity without sin. And listen, there are versions of Christianity that just stop there. Jesus was a sinless man, and so we should live in his example. We should live with him being a model for a nice, good, moral Christian life. And that's a very nice sentiment. But we're called to live far more than nice, moral lives. If you're called to just live a nice, moral life, then, then church is just a hobby and nothing more. But if it's a power that must be broken, we need more than just an example that we can follow. So as we celebrate this Holy Week, moving towards Good Friday, this, this morning 2,000 years ago, when the creator of life himself took upon death, to break this power over us. We need to know what the message of the cross truly is. First, you see, the, on the cross, Jesus, he bore the weight of our sin. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus became sin for us on the cross. This is the mystery of the crucifixion. This is the beauty of the sacrifice is that Jesus bore willingly the weight and the penalty of those broken choices of the power that was on us. He bore that in his body. First Peter 1, 2, 24 says he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. So that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Think about this. All the sinful choices you make, all the power that we are under, all the, the, the choices that all of humanity has made, all of the evil and brokenness and sin and death bore in Jesus' body, hanging on a Roman cross. On the cross, Jesus bore your sin. Not just sin, he bore your sin and my sin. And then in the midst of death, we see that on the cross, Jesus atoned for our sin. 1 John 2, 2 tells us that he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. If you look at that word, atone, you see two words in there, at 
one. And it's a perfect example of what atonement really means. It's, it's what makes us at one with one another. When we find atonement, we find a unity and reconciliation. So when God says that Jesus is our atonement, he is the means by we have been brought together with God once again. Jesus, he makes reconciliation possible by becoming the healing and the wholeness that we need within the problem of our fractured humanity, within our sin. In the Old Testament, it was the sacrifice of animals that stood for this. The symbol that pointed towards the day that Jesus would come and be the sacrifice that every sacrifice before was trying to accomplish, was longing to see Jesus in himself bore the weight of our sin and atoned made us at one with God. That's good news for us today. Which brings us to on the cross that Jesus did this. He reconciled us to God. Colossians 1, 19 and 20. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. We see in our story the power of sin and death. It fractured, it fissured our relationship with God. We, we are, are, are not completely separated in that God is no longer here, but the relationship we have is fractured. And no amount of moral grandstanding, no, no right living could restore and bridge the gap between us and God. Reconciliation it has to come outside of ourselves, has to come from something other than within ourselves. And so in Jesus, we are restored, reconciled to the Father by his death. Not just humanity. Paul says all things are reconciled. All of creation in the cross is being reconciled back to God. It's what Acts says. It's the restoration of all things. It's the very reason we named our church this. is because in Jesus, all things are being reconciled. Amen? All things are being restored. Y'all can talk to me. It's freaking Holy Week. Let's do this. This is good news. Come on. All things, not just humans, not just the good people. God is reconciling to himself all things. It's why in Revelation 21, Jesus can say, I am making everything new because God in Christ through the cross began to reconcile all things, all creation back to himself. The world is not our home, but it will be. It will be because God is bringing about a new heavens and a new earth because the sacrifice of Jesus made a way for all things to be reconciled back to God. And we see this because on the cross, the power of death and darkness were defeated. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 say that since we, the children, are all creatures of flesh and blood, Jesus took on flesh and blood. So that by dying, he could destroy the one who held power over death, the devil. And destroy the fear of death that has always held people captive. Paul tells us this also in Colossians 2, that having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing 
triumphing over them by the cross. I love that statement. It's a, it's a, a picture of in, a, in the ancient world when you conquered a nation, you would ride into the city with the, with the, 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 the prisoners of war coming along behind you in chains, showing the whole city, look who I have conquered. I am king. The power belongs to me. The picture Paul is giving us here is that when Jesus comes and returns, he is bringing along and showing us in full display that the power of darkness has been defeated. Satan, sin, and death are broken. The power has been broken. The evil one, the one that the Bible calls the accuser of the brethren, the one who, when we hear the voice of accusation, when we hear the voice of shame, his voice has been broken over us. That's good news. Jesus was crucified, if you notice, on Passover. And this is the celebration of the liberation of of God's people from the slavery and the tyranny of Pharaoh. And the cross, we talked about this a few weeks ago, is our new exodus. It is the defeat of the power of darkness. The slavery that we had to sin and death has been broken. And liberation and victory are ours because of what Jesus has accomplished. This is good news. Amen? This is good news. But there's one more thing. One more thing that, that I don't want us to miss that is often outside of the conversation when we talk about the cross. And that is that on the cross we see the revelation of the Father's heart for us. We see what God is like. There's a version of the gospel that maybe you've heard. It goes something like this. God is just blindingly angry at you. Just absolutely filled with rage when he looks at you because of our sin. And he's just inches away from pouring out his wrath upon us, the terrible sinners. But luckily, in this version of the gospel, Jesus steps in and, and, and dies and, and sort of protects us from God. Now think about how strange that is. To think that, that Jesus has to stand in the way and hold back a God who's barely putting up with us. And if it weren't for the cross, he would still be so angry. I want to tell you that's not the heart of God. And that's not what we see in the cross. I think it's helpful to think about the cross through the lens of the prodigal son. And that we see the sin of humanity. We see how we ran away from God in our rebellion and our religion. In the younger brother and the older brother, we ran away from God. Their younger brother, he turns away from the father. He turns to evil and debauchery. The older brother, he turns away in his self-righteousness. And when the younger brother uh, humiliates his father and just basically wishes him dead, he does something phenomenal. The father just lets him do it. He gives him over to it. You might be wondering, as we talk about sin, do, do I believe in God's wrath? And the answer is, yeah, I do. But I think what we see in this story is the perfect picture of what God's wrath actually is. The wrath of God is giving us what we want when we don't want him. 
The wrath of God is the fruit of our decisions when we choose to run away from God, when we choose to experience life apart from him, to say like Adam and Eve, I got this on my own. The wrath of God is just when we face the hard reality of our choices. Choices that, like the younger brother, lead to destruction. Too often we paint a very different picture of God the Father, a God who is barely tolerating us. And if it wasn't for Jesus stepping in, we'd be done for. But the prodigal father is so different. Even in experiencing the wrath of his own sinful choices, the younger brother, he meets this father running towards him with open arms. He's weeping. He is celebrating. He is ready to welcome him home. Even at the very worst of the worst of his life, he is running after his son, longing to welcome him, longing to bring him back home. I love how Fleming Rutledge writes this. She says, the wrath of God falls upon God himself by God's own choice, out of God's own love. God did not change his mind about us on account of the cross or any other account. He did not need to have his mind changed. He was never opposed to us. It is not his opposition to us, but our opposition to him that had to be overcome. And the only way it could be overcome was from God's side, by God's initiative, from inside human flesh, the human flesh of the Son. On the cross, our sins are forgiven. But think about forgiveness in the sense of a relationship. Relationally, forgiveness looks like the Father's heart in this story, bringing us home, not before we got our act together, not before everything was cleaned up, not before everything was restored as it once was before and everyone was paid back. Forgiveness is what welcomed the Son home, was it not? Forgiveness was not the result of his return. Forgiveness was the open door that brought him home. This is the heart of the Father, the Father who longs to forgive, longs to reconcile, longs to welcome us, his sons and his daughters, home. That is the Father's heart. And the cross, my friends, the cross that we celebrate and we look to this week, it is the clearest picture, the revelation of the heart of God, of the open arms of the Father saying, come home, come home. The cross means that God is for us and not against us. The cross means that at our worst, God is for us. It means that in our rejection that God is for us. It means that in our doubts, God is for us. In our rebellion, God is for us. At the very end of our rope, God is for us. God is for us, even in our self-righteous stubbornness. God is for us wherever you are here and now. In your story, you can know because of the cross of Jesus that God is for you. And my prayer for you today, my prayer for myself today, is that the cross would not just be a past event, but it will be a present reality today. A present reality of the hope, not that you found back then, not the hope that you have in the future, both important, but the hope that you have, the hope you have right here and now in your story, where you actually are. Not the person that you think you should be, but the person who is actually here. There's hope in the cross for you. We do not graduate from the message of the cross. 
We do not graduate onto deeper things. The cross remains the center point of our faith. The message of the cross, as Paul says, is still the power of God. It is the power of God to overcome our sin and our shame today. It's the power even to reconcile broken relationships beyond God but with one another. It is the power to find who we are in the present and bring the real us to the Father and not the person we think we should be. And if that's you, that's me, today's that day. Today's the day to come to the cross, whether you're exploring faith for the first time or you've been Christian forever. The invitation is the same, to come to the cross of Jesus. Today we return to the Father's arms who says, come home. For some, it is in our rebellion, it is in our running away that we need to remember that God does not conditionally give forgiveness. That God welcomes us in forgiveness and out of his grace we are changed. And for those of us who are more like older brothers, we're self-righteous, we're angry. We have all the blessings of God around us, but our eyes are always on everybody else and what everybody else is doing instead of what we have right in front of our face. Whether we're older or younger, whether we're prodigal that ran away or the prodigal that is right where we are, the Father's heart just says, welcome home. So Father, we come to you. Not just in prayer of words and religious acts, but we come to the God who is here. May we be disrupted from our status quo today. May we be not just reminded, may we come to a greater heart-shaped focus on the sacrifice of God, not just as a theological concept, but as a reality for us in the here and the now. So Jesus, we come to you now. Do your work in us. Speak to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're celebrating communion as we do every week to remember the centrality of the cross, the cruciform life of Jesus.